Who are they? How did they get here and where are they now? I'm Tyson Chastain, Director of Alumni Relations with Johnson University, and this is the Sojournal Podcast. The Sojournal Podcast is a production of the Alumni Relations Office at Johnson University and is brought to you by the Alumni Association. Whether you graduated from Central Florida Bible College, Johnson Bible College, Florida Christian College, or Johnson University, you are a part of the alumni family. Join the Alumni Association, help encourage and equip alumni and students as they pursue kingdom-focused vocations. Learn more at johnsonu.edu forward slash alumni. Today we're joined in the Sojournal podcast in studio, if you will, by Don Brookshire, a member of the class of 1960. Don, welcome to the podcast. It's good to be here. Just to get started, would you mind introducing yourself to the podcast guest? Yes, uh, I grew up in uh, central Kentucky. Uh, just outside of uh, Richmond, Kentucky, a little village uh, called Waco. And Waco was just a very poor rural community in the days that I was growing up there. I grew up in the Flatwoods Christian Church. It's just uh, in the Waco community. The Flatwoods Church has a great history. it was established, if you would believe it, in 1801 as a Baptist church. Of course, uh, that was just prior to the Campbells uh, and Raccoon John Smith and the early Restoration leaders of starting to have a influence throughout that part of Kentucky. When the Campbells came on the scene, the church identified itself with the Restoration movement. Let's see, you are currently living in, is it Duquesne, Pennsylvania? Duquesne, Pennsylvania. That's a uh, suburban section of uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Okay. And Waco, where, where about? Waco is? would be um, about halfway between Richmond and Irvine. Okay. Very good. So um, you said you grew up in Flatwoods Christian Church. What was, what was your life like growing up? Uh, were you raised in a Christian home? No, not really. My dad, throughout his life, continued the tradition that had been established in his parents' home. Uh, My grandparents, the only time I ever remember seeing them in church was for funerals. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were not church people. Mm -hmm. And there was, I don't know, I think about eight kids, and um, uh, only one really... uh, became involved in church that I know of. Now, my mother uh, attended church some, but really was not all that active. But um, the uh, youth group at the uh, Flatwoods Church was the thing that drew me in. Uh, Most of the uh, young people of my general age would be involved in the youth activities of the church, and that kept us all together. Mm. And really, being raised uh, in a rural community that was about the only thing that was going on there. <laughs> so it wasn't exactly like somebody in the church. Uh, it, it's not like a youth minister going to visit your school no. like there would be today. Uh-huh. Um, or a singing group or anything. But uh, we just kind of gravitated to the youth activities. And uh, and then usually we would always then, after uh, church, we would go into Richmond. There was one place that was... Uh, considered to be a, a youth hangout where you could get ice cream. Mm. One place. One place. <laughs> and uh, we would always go in there. That was probably, at that time, part of the reason why we uh, uh, stayed with the youth group. 
It would be the after activities. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. So when did you really start going to church consistently? When, when, when would you say that you really confronted this, this thing about God? Probably when I was about 14, I guess. One of my best friends attended another church, a denominational church in the community. And um, at one point, I thought very seriously of becoming a member of that church. But then when I found out that they had to vote on me for me to become a member, I said, uh, I don't know much about church or Bibles or whatever, but that's not right. People should not have a decision as to whether or not I'll become a member of the church. Right. And so uh, that helped sway me back to the Christian church. At that point, uh, my best friend and I decided, I think we were about 13 or 14, we decided that... Uh, uh, we were ready to make a decision for Christ. And his father, who also who was a deacon in the church and a Sunday school teacher, uh, when we approached him about it, he says, oh, no, you, you're too young. You don't know what you're doing. And we thought, okay. So we backed off. Well, after uh, two or three years, the father started to get anxious uh, because we hadn't said any more about it. And he thought we were old enough then and we said, no, we wanted to become Christians back two or three years ago, and you didn't like the idea. We don't like the idea now because we had grown. <laughs> no, no. But uh, after, a, after a period of time, I think when we were about uh, 16, 17, we, uh, we did uh, make a commitment and give our life to Christ. Of course, being a country church, we did not have an uh, in-church baptistry. So farm ponds became the baptismal place, or uh, there were some creeks and rivers not too far away, but I was immersed in a farm pond after church on a Sunday night. The people that had cars kind of circled the, the pond and left their lights on so we could uh, have light uh, for the baptism. <laughs> it's really neat. You gave your life to Christ then, 16, 17. How did you end up deciding to come to this campus in East Tennessee? That was really an act of God. After I graduated from high school, I really had no direction or no plans as to what I wanted to do in life. Uh, at that point, probably, I was just glad to be out of high school. But when the fall uh, came around, located in Richmond, which was the closest town, was Eastern Kentucky State Teachers College. And so when fall rolled around, I decided to uh, enroll uh, there. And my first year of college, I went to Eastern. But after uh, going to Eastern a year, uh, I started to uh, realize uh, I needed a direction in my life. And um, uh, during the summer, we uh, had a revival at our uh, local church. The minister that we had had never really identified himself as being a student at Johnson Bible College, but the evangelist that came in talked about Johnson Bible College. And so I sought him out and uh, talked to him, and I realized that was the direction I wanted to go. But there were two other Bible colleges in our fellowship that were closer mm -hmm. geographically than mm -hmm. Johnson. But I, I just felt like the Lord was leading me to come to Johnson. And uh, uh, I didn't know anything about Johnson, and basically I, I uh, said to myself, no matter how bad things are down there, I'm going. 
And uh, uh, before the summer was over, uh, I did make a trip down. My parents came with me to Cumberland Heights. This would have been in uh, the fall of 57. And uh, student body then, uh, maybe 150 <laughs> uh, compared to where I was going to Eastern with 3,000 students. When I got here, I found that the, and it was summertime, that uh, Miss Gertie, I guess, was the secretary who basically handled all the bookwork and everything. She was the only one I could find uh, around. Everybody else was busy doing different things. And she directed me. She says, you need to talk to Dean Clark. And I said, well, where could I find him? She says, well, he's, I think he's down by the river working down there. <laughs> and I thought, uh-huh. Uh, you know, what kind of school is this? <laughs> but I went down and Dean Clark and uh, some others were working on the old barge that they used to get across the river to the island. And, uh, of course, uh, being a, a farm worker like that with two or three days beard growth, uh, coveralls on and so forth, uh, when I found the group of men down there, I had to ask, who's Dean Clark? <laughs> you couldn't pick him out by looking at him. <laughs> but uh, uh, we we went aside and I explained to him that I was interested in transferring. And he said, well, what courses have you taken? And we basically decided right on the spot on the riverbank as to what courses I had taken that would transfer and what wouldn't. Huh. And so uh, I, I, I stuck with it. I decided no matter how bad, I was coming to Johnson. Uh-huh. And then when I got here as a student, I found out how good the college was. Amen. Like a family. Yes, absolutely. So you said that you came down to Johnson with your parents. Yes. By this time, were your parents supportive of your direction? Uh, probably so. My parents were kind of laid back. Uh, they felt like uh, you know whatever I wanted to do in life, they would support me. And of course... My initial thought was that I would never become a preacher. Uh, I was one of those back row kids. Uh, I couldn't even lead in silent prayer. You know, it was one of those things. I, I had a long way to grow. So my parents, uh, uh, they were uh, willing to do what they could to help, which was very little. My home church, however, did decide to help me financially and uh, encouraged me that way. And so they helped pay some of my tuition, although I did work on the farm, uh-huh. along with Dean Clark uh-huh. on that. And uh, uh, Dean Clark and I became very good friends. We uh, uh, we got along real well. Uh, uh, I know many of the students kind of quaked when they uh, uh, got around Dean Clark out of fear. I was never afraid of him. We worked together uh, on the farm, and we got along real well. <laughs> That's great. Okay, so before I talk to you about that experience uh, of being here on the campus and, and working on the farm and those kinds of things, you mentioned your home church preacher was uh, apparently a student at Johnson and going and preaching on weekends, and then this evangelist And then he, uh, the, the preacher did go in full-time after the weekend ministry. It didn't stay long after that. He went on to um, a restoration-related college that was in Lexington at that time. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, he was more of that persuasion, Okay. if you understand my drift. I, I believe I do, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. 
So what was his name? His name was Dan Entwistle. He probably graduated in 54, 55. Uh, but the evangelist, I believe his last name was Bennett, and he was from Georgia, I believe. And he uh, had a much stronger uh, contact and was much more supportive of Johnson than the uh, local minister was. He was very glad to talk to me about the college. And did he encourage you toward the preaching vocation? Or? Well, he, uh, he wanted me to come down and, mm -hmm. and check it out and uh, go from there. And, uh, you know, I have to give uh, the professors a, a lot of credit at Johnson. Of course, professors then, you could almost name them on one hand mm -hmm. because, you know, the college is very small and, and uh, some of the workloads that those professors had, I don't know how they did it. You know, Dean Clark, uh, he was the dean of the college. He taught in the classroom. He was a full-time minister at Maryville, among other things. Uh -huh, right. <laughs> and, and I would often think, how in the world can he do it all? <laughs> but he did it all and did it well. So in, in 1960, the president of the university was? Uh, R.M. Bell. R.M. Bell. And uh, then, uh, well, that was about the time of the, uh, well, it was shortly after that, I guess, that he passed away mm -hmm. during homecoming. Homecoming. I was. You mentioned the Alumni Association. Uh, I have always been a strong supporter of the Alumni Association, even though I graduated in 1960. Up until this COVID situation, I think I maybe missed five homecomings. Wow! Over that period of time, and Western Pennsylvania, where I finally ended up at, which which we'll talk about later, um, had several Johnson people there. And uh, we would uh, get a whole car load or a van load or a bus load and come down for homecoming. It was a great time of fellowship. Okay, so you came to Johnson then in roughly 57, 58? Uh, 57. 57, yeah. Yeah. okay. What was your experience like here? Was, was the school anything like what you expected based on your conversation with the evangelist or anything else? Uh, yes, uh, yes it was. Uh, you know, he, he tried to give me uh, a picture in a nutshell of what uh, things were like here and uh, indicated that uh, he knew that money would be an issue. And he said, well, you can work at the college. And in, in those days, I think just about every student here worked for one thing or another. Uh, and uh, I, since I grew up on a farm, why well, I, I just kind of gravitated to the farm work with Dean Clark. What, what programs were offered at the time, and which one did you enter? Well, uh, my goal was to have a Bachelor of Arts degree. Mm -hmm. and, and basically, at that point in time, I, I guess the Bachelor of Arts degrees was you know, a preaching degree. The uh, one thing that uh, just about stumped me was you had to have two years of Greek. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't know if I was going to take Greek or Greek was going to take me. <laughs> but... Yes, uh, I, I made it through two years and got my degree. And of course, in the meantime, I also found a wife, a helpmate. And uh, she too was uh, uh, in the same class. So we were able, many of the classes we took together. Uh -huh. And so we helped tutor each other. So how soon after you arrived did you meet her? Pretty soon, because uh, 
the second year after I came here, we were married. Oh, wow. So yeah, we, we were married our last two years. I was here at Johnson three years. So you were married when you were juniors? Uh, yeah, uh, junior and senior, we were married. But we had promised uh, my uh, mother-in-law when we got married, she was concerned. Uh, she wanted to make sure her daughter graduated, and we said yes. she will graduate. And, of course, uh, my wife, uh, Adeline Jane Justice, was uh, from uh, a family in the uh, First Christian Church in Newport that was always a strong supporter of Johnson. And uh, a lot of the student preachers or faculty, when they would go to Newport to preach, they always had dinner with the justices. <laughs> and great. so uh, Jane, as we ended up calling her, was very familiar with the college, uh, attended church camp here you know, during the years. And uh, so uh, she was well acquainted with the college, considering the fact that I wasn't. Right, right. Mm -hmm. So uh, what do you remember most about your time as a student? Well, I, let's, let's actually break this down into three categories. What do you remember about your time academically? Uh, what do you remember about your time socially? Mm -hmm. And what do you remember about your time spiritually? So mm -hmm. uh, academically, what are some things that stand out to you about your classroom experience, your interaction with faculty, that kind of thing? Well, the, the first, first thing that I remember was that uh, having gone to uh, Eastern Kentucky State Teachers College, I just kind of breezed along there. When I got to Johnson, you don't breeze along. <laughs> uh, you either work or you go home. Uh -huh. And so I had to buckle down and become a serious student at that point, which was the first uh, time in my life that I was a serious student. I, I never really had taken schooling all that serious up to that point. Uh, as I look back on it, if I had uh, put in the uh, time studying at Eastern that I uh, did at Johnson, I would have been a straight A plus student at, at Eastern. Huh. Uh, whereas at Johnson, I was just your average student and I was working hard to be that. <laughs> uh, of course, in, in our class, uh, like most all of the classes, you have, uh, even though our classes were not large, you have two or three people that we always call the front row people. And they were the straight A people, right? And they messed it up for all the rest of us <laughs> as far as uh, grading on the curve and things like that. <laughs> Do you remember any lessons uh, specifically of classes? One of my favorite professors became uh, Professor Black. Mm -hmm. uh, we we just dearly loved him, and at that point we thought of him as being an older man. When in reality he wasn't all that much older than we were, <laughs> right. really. And uh, uh, then uh, uh, one year, uh, at that point, late, late 50s, they were offering some graduate courses here. And uh, I, I was in one of those classes, and uh, David Eubanks was in that class. So one year, I was in class with David Eubanks. The next year... He was a professor, and, <laughs> right. and I had a class under David Eubanks. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a that's a rather unique thing that you have Dr. Eubanks as a classmate one year and then as a professor the next year. So. Yes. Yeah. He uh, even as a as a young fellow, he was very very efficient as a professor. Hmm. 
when uh, Jane and I decided to get married, uh, we sought out Dr. Black for counseling uh-huh. and uh, appreciated the guidance he gave us there. Uh-huh. Okay, so uh, that's academically. What about socially? What was social life like here outside of the classroom? Well, uh, uh, walking around the uh, old barn that was still where the PW building is now, uh-huh. walking around that block, and uh, if it was very dark, you could hold hands. Uh, otherwise, you weren't supposed to. Uh-huh. But uh, uh, so are, are you saying you and Jane held hands walking around that barn? When it was dark. Yeah, when it was dark. Yeah, okay. yeah. But uh, socially, there there wasn't really a whole lot to do. Uh, you know, uh, financially, none of us had any money to really go off campus. I did have a car, but you know, cars take gas. So uh, sometimes, if somebody had had some money, why? Well, I'd provide the car and we'd go off campus for something, but uh, most of our social life was right here on campus, and uh, that seemed to satisfy us all. I think perhaps back in those days, uh, more of the preachers uh, uh, sought out a wife, mm-hmm. you know, from fellow classmates here, uh-huh. and uh, I could not have done a better job. I, I truly got a great helpmate. Because in the ministry, she was, she was with me in it all. Mm. She really was. Mm. If I was involved in something, she was involved in something. <laughs> and uh, she worked with the kids. Uh, she worked with music, uh, and and did uh, she entertained, and so it was uh, a great team. Wow. So how did you meet her? I think the first time I saw her, I was walking around the block with another girl. <laughs> and uh, okay. and then I saw Jane, and so I decided to uh, venture out mm-hmm. a little bit there. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, my spiritual life was basically, when I arrived here, was zero. And I had a lot of growing to do. And uh, the chapels, uh, outside of uh, 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 President Bell reading letters in chapel, you know, letters from supporters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, outside of that, I think the chapels were uh, sessions were, were molding us, whether we realized it or not. Mm. You know, because we had some great preaching and and so forth there. And then the uh, there were some missionary groups uh, at that time, and that helped I, I think in our spiritual life, our devotional life. And of course, the prayer room was. Uh, heavily emphasized, and uh, that that was a great help to the student body. Hmm. Did they have, you know, uh, small group meetings in the dorms or anything uh, like that? Not so much in the dorms. Like I say, there was two missionary groups, I believe, and I don't remember what they were called, but that gave us uh, time. It, it, it kind of acted like a small group. We'd get together and we would pray for different missionaries, and uh, try to help them financially, so forth. Mm. Did Johnson have athletic teams at the time? Not really, uh, intramural uh, mm-hmm. type thing. And uh, that could be a downfall to a lot of students, and it was almost a downfall to me. Is that right? Because being from Kentucky, there's a bit of interest in basketball <laughs> in big blue yes. country. Uh-huh. And uh, we could always find guys that were ready to go over to the old gym and uh, of course, the old gym was all we had uh-huh. at that point. Go and 
play some play hoops. Some basketball. Right. Yeah, and uh, uh, we would go over there. Sometimes we were over there when we should have been studying, but uh, we had to have an outlet of some kind. <laughs> That's good. So when you were a single student, what dorm did you live in? I lived in the old, I guess it's Clark Hall, the Clark old, Hall. old uh-huh. dorm. Okay, so yeah. right behind Old Main. Yeah, I uh-huh. lived there uh, for a year. Uh-huh. And then when you and Jane got married? Were... We, we uh, <clears throat> purchased a trailer and uh, put it up behind what then was Prof Black's. Uh, is on the ridge out from uh-huh. uh-huh. uh, it's uh, the counseling building where the right it? Myrtle Hall Myrtle Hall yeah uh-huh. it was out that out uh-huh. behind that okay in that area mm-hmm. so you purchased the trailer we purchased yours? a trailer mm-hmm. borrowed money to purchase the trailer All right and then we lived in it two years and then we were able to sell it and I, if I remember correctly we almost got enough out of it to pay the thing off uh, of the money that we had borrowed. Wow. So it worked out well. Right, yeah. And it worked out well. So when you graduated then, did did you guys have a direction, a clear path as to where you well, were going? Well, yeah. Uh, our, uh, after, we, after I got married, uh, I started preaching at a little church up in central Kentucky. So uh, my last two years of school here, uh, we averaged about 500 miles every weekend. Oh, wow. Driving up, and that was, of course, before interstates. Uh, and we had to, Jellicoe Mountains to deal with, the okay. winding road through the mountains. If you've never taken that old road, it'd be <laughs> worth your time to get off the interstate and drive the old road. Just try it <laughs> once, yeah. Just see what it was like. But uh, we did that for two years. And then after uh, we graduated, we went in full-time up there. But the uh, starvation salary that we were getting uh, was hardly enough to keep us going. So uh, we were just there a little less than a year full time. And uh, then we moved to Virginia, uh, First Christian Church in Appalachia, Virginia, which was Bill Blevins' home church. And uh, we were there two, two years, a very short ministry there. Exciting thing about it was uh, we had uh, a very good uh, youth group there, uh, some of the top top students in the school. So we had uh, a good bunch of kids. And none of them ended up coming to Johnson, but several did go to Milligan. So uh, what was the name of the church in Kentucky? Uh, Kentucky was Fairview Christian Church Fairview Christian in church. Paint Lick, Kentucky. In Paint Lick. Paint Lick. It was outside of Berea. Okay. We had, had a real good ministry there. But, like I say, they'd always been a part-time church, and uh, they were always going to, going to be a part-time salary church. And then you went to this uh, first Christian? In Appalachia, in Appalachia, Virginia. Okay. And we were there uh, a couple of years, and uh, we were never all that happy there. And uh, an alumni of, of Johnson that uh, uh, was at my wife's home church when she was young, was a fellow by the name of Burton Doyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, Burton was an area evangelist in the Pittsburgh area. And every time we saw Burton, he would say, now I, I, uh, I have some churches open that are looking for preachers. And uh, I was just never all that interested in moving to a, a large met- metropolitan area. But uh, finally, uh, he had one church. He said, I think this, this church would really be a good church for you. And I said, we finally agreed to go up just to look the situation over. And once we met the people there, why, this was the Homeville Christian Church in West Mifflin, Pennsylvania. 
and it was suburban, an older suburban section uh, around Pittsburgh, but in the uh, what they call Steel Valley area uh, of the steel mills. And uh, all of the men in the church, uh, without exception, I think, were involved in the steel industry one way or another. So as the steel industry went, so went, uh, uh, yeah. so went our workers. We moved there in February of 63. The steel mills did great until uh, I think it was 1985 they started closing down. And the church did great until 1985 when all of the younger families had to move out of the area to find work. Uh, in fact, during that time, we set records uh, in all areas, you know, Sunday school, church, uh, offering and everything, every year, I think, until 85. And at, at uh, the year of 85, we lost 100 members in one year. Mm. And uh, that hurt. Right. Well, <laughs> and, and now, what church, was the name of that church? Uh, Homeville Christian Church. Homeville, yeah. There was one, one year, we had, I believe it was 15 students here at Johnson, from that congregation. Wow. Because uh, we were channeling a bunch of bunch of students down this way. So how long were you at that church? Uh, just 37 years. Oh, was that all, 37, yeah, 37 years? Yeah, I was there 37 years. Had had a wonderful ministry there. I really enjoyed it. And, of course, I, I guess I grew as the church grew. Uh -huh. And, you know, when we first went there, I was, what, 24, 25. And, of course, uh, one of the main emphases is that we uh, made at that point was on youth. Mm -hmm. And uh, we uh, worked to grow our youth group, and, and we did. We, we had a lot of young people, and we, we enjoyed it. And toward the end of our ministry there, uh, we established a uh, very strong uh, ministry of the senior citizens. And, and of course, that wasn't the average thing in those days. You know, this is in the late 70s, I guess, we started the seniors' work. And uh, there was no other churches to, you know, establish a pattern after that had a seniors' ministry. Our, our congregation was one that was urging Dr. Eubanks and Wilbur Reed to start something here at Johnson so we could bring them down. Huh. And the first year of Senior Saints in the Smokies, I think we brought about half the crowd <laughs> that first year. From your church. Yeah, from that church. And uh, people after that, I didn't have to do any selling. Huh. You know, they were always ready to come. <laughs> they enjoyed it thoroughly. But I always said that the Senior Saints in the Smokies had, had many benefits, not only for the college, but for the local congregation, because local congregation... Uh, the people that, at least that I brought down, were your committee chairman, were your uh, missionary people. And so they could, uh, you know, broaden their scope, you yes. know, uh, at Senior Saints in the Smokies coming down. And uh, the church had become a regular supporter of Johnson Baba College. And uh, they uh, could have the professors in in their sessions, mm -hmm. and so they could see where their money was going. Uh huh. So it was a great benefit. Yeah, I really appreciate you bringing them down like that, yeah. and you know, get, opening that door, uh, that opportunity. 
some of our podcast guests will know this, but not mm-hmm. everybody for sure, that right. you are the only person who has been to every single Senior Saints in the Smokies that mm-hmm. we've offered. Yeah, I, uh, I guess at my age, I'm kind of becoming an oddity, you would say, <laughs> <laughs> because uh, most of my contemporaries, uh, they're gone. Well, your uh, your record of endurance and perseverance has been exemplary, and uh, I greatly appreciate that. So you brought your seniors group down um, from the church there in Pittsburgh, but that was not your last ministry, was it? Well, no, I, I retired from that congregation in uh, 2000. Uh, I thought, well, I would stay in the area. Uh, Burton Doyle had become my mentor, and I, I uh, learned a lot of things under Burton Doyle. And of course, Burton had already passed away. And uh, at that point in time, we did not have a full-time evangelist working with our churches. So uh, I decided that I would uh, kind of fill that void on a volunteer basis huh. and still do to a certain degree. Do you? Yeah, uh, I'm very active. Uh, we still have that evangelistic association going and I'm very active in it, and uh, uh, there is a missionary arm of it that has a trust fund that we'd make loans to local churches that have emergencies. You know, these are not multi-million dollar loans to uh, uh, build, you know, big church plants, but uh, if a, a church has a furnace to go out and they need money right now without having to go through the process of the uh, banks and the time that it takes for that, uh, we we give them a loan and uh, go on from there. And so uh, that has become very beneficial to the local churches. As well as I uh, I was retired two, three months, and, and a little church in the adjoining county needed uh, someone to just temporarily fill in. And after temporarily filling in 20 years there, <laughs> uh, I decided it was time for me to retire the second time. So uh, uh, by that time, I had... Uh, I, I had turned 80, and I thought, well, you know, I'll retire again. But I still do supply preaching. Uh, in fact, the uh, last uh, last six weeks I've preached, I don't know, three or four times uh, during the last six weeks, which is more than I really like to, but uh, I, I do, you know, fill in for preachers who are on vacation or sick or or what have you. You know, the, the, they say there's no retiring from no, ministry. No. And uh, you're, you're certainly proof of that. So throughout your your ministry career, you said Jane was the perfect helpmeet for you. Perfect. So what was, like, her role in, in your various ministries? I mean, did, did she get involved in the ministry? Was she mostly just support to you and the no, kids? No, she was involved in the ministry on a volunteer basis. She never received a salary. At the Homeville Church, she uh, was choir director and organist. The church didn't really realize the benefit they were getting from Jane until, right. until she left. <laughs> when, when, uh, when we retired, why, we felt like you know, we needed to step out of that congregation, uh, even though we lived close by. And I still uh, occasionally fill in at that congregation when the minister's on vacation. But uh, Jane... Uh, was very involved, uh, you know, she taught youth at earlier on, taught adults later on, uh, you know, the, the whole gamut. Wow. The whole gamut. And and you all had a couple kids? Yes, we had uh, two kids. Uh, both of them attended Johnson Bible College. 
son attended one year mainly to pacify his parents and to prove that he could cut it. So he came and he decided that you know ministry wasn't for him. And so uh, he uh, then came back home and started working in the automotive uh, industry and um, eventually got married. And uh, then our daughter, uh, she really took to the music groups uh, that Johnson would send out. She, she knew them all. And so she couldn't wait. Whenever we would come to homecoming every year, she would would take her out of school and bring her down. And of course, most of the, her teachers in school said, oh, she can learn more on a trip like that than she could in class. <laughs> so uh, she would come down and she would live in the dorms with the girls and so forth. And uh, our daughter, graduated from Johnson. So, and now, uh, Jane's passed on. Yeah, Jane passed away about five years ago, which was uh, somewhat a a surprise. She had been sick, but uh, doctors could not pinpoint her problem. Hmm. And finally, uh, her last stay in the hospital, she was just in the hospital a day or two, and a new, new doctor came in. And he wasn't in the room five minutes. He said, you know, I think I know what's wrong with her. Uh, he says, I think she has multiple myeloma, which is a bone cancer disease. And he says, the uh, thing about that is it's highly treatable. And we thought, well, well, good, because she'd really suffer. She could just roll over in bed and fracture a rib. Oh. I mean, uh, very painful. Wow. The problem was she was too far gone tried to start her treatments, and it was too late. It was just too late. And she she didn't survive. Wow. Which uh, was a surprise. She was from a family of long livers. Her mother died at 97. Her dad was 90. All her aunts and uncles were in their 90s and so forth. And so uh, we just had it all figured. You know, who dies first? Mm. The husband, you know. Mm -hmm. We have the mark on us. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, we had it figured. So... uh, I'd gone through a heart attack and bypass surgery and so forth, and and so we just figured, well, you know, I'd die first. It doesn't hmm. always work that way. It doesn't, no. So it doesn't work that way. But uh, had some real pleasant memories. Mm-hmm. Jane and I enjoyed travel, and we uh, visited all 50 states, but uh, we were able to travel to the Holy Land several times and different foreign countries, so we enjoyed travel. That's Both of us did, so it worked out. Uh-huh. So through your journey, what are some lessons you've learned that uh, that you think might be of benefit to folks who listen in? Well, I think one of the problems that, uh, especially young ministers, and I was once young minister, uh, I think ministers need to learn to to pick their fights. Mm-hmm. You know, too often uh, ministers feel, well, I've been to Bible college and I know what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they really grab a hold of something, and no matter what, uh, they're going to fight till the end. Well, uh, sometimes we need to step back and look at it and, and kind of ask ourselves, is this really worth uh, a fight mm-hmm. in the church? And, of course, you know, so often, I think that's one reason why preachers move so often is that uh, uh, the minister takes off on a, on a tangent, if you will, and uh, it's maybe it was something that he should have kind of looked at and stepped back and say, 
well, let's uh, pray about this and let's look at this and and uh, see if it's really worth the effort mm-hmm. in that direction and go another direction. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things that uh, uh, I had to learn. You don't stay at the same church 37 years if you don't learn some lessons. Right. Yeah. Right. And uh, another thing that I learned was that I never asked my people to do something I wouldn't do. Be it, uh, we went through relocations and building of buildings and so forth, and uh, it got me into a lot of work, physical, you know, digging ditches sometimes and so forth, but it was a a type of thing I felt I I needed to set the example for them. Also, I found uh, ministers kind of gravitate to the type of work that they like to do best. You know, there are some ministers could spend all day in the office studying and preparing for sermons. There's nothing wrong with that, not not at all. But there are other phases of ministry. If you're in a church as the as the senior minister, there are other phases that you're going to have to be involved in. And so I found most of my ministry, I found I ha- I needed to be with the people. If someone's scheduled for surgery, I was there with the family. Uh, it gets you into a lot of work, but people appreciate it. Right. There were times that I think my sermons probably suffered because of that. Uh-huh. But being with the people, it made up the difference. Right, right. Because after I retired the first time and was with the other church, which was just a part-time ministry, really, I found myself spending a lot more time uh, in sermon preparation. One thing I know about you and Jane is that you have been faithful partners with the work that happens here at Johnson. Is is there anything in particular that inspires that? What, what motivates you to be so committed? Well, uh, I think partly it goes back to Jane's family connection. Her parents were great supporters of the school, uh, even though they didn't have a lot of money. But they, they really were Johnson Bible College people. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Jane having come out of that type of setting. And, of course, her family was quite opposite from mine. Her family, well, they had the keys to the church. Yeah. You know, they opened the doors and they, <laughs> they locked it up when they finished, whereas my family was not really involved in church. And uh, uh, her family thought so much of Johnson Bible College. Huh. And so it just became a natural part. In our first ministry when we were in Kentucky, we uh, brought our kids back down to summer camp here because we felt like the more the people could know about the college and be aware of what's going on, the better. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Well, I, I want you to know how much I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate that personally because I know that your history of involvement helped equip people that were instrumental in my family and I coming mm-hmm. to Christ. You know, if you'd, have, if you'd have told me 25, 30 years ago where I'd be, mm-hmm. never would I have imagined it. Well, that was kind of the way with me. I, When I was in my student ministry in Kentucky, I uh, had opportunity. I could have gone to a church in Louisville. And I said, no, it's too big a town. I don't, I don't want to live in a big town. Mm-hmm. Well, 
little did I know two years later, the Lord would be leading us to go to Pittsburgh. <laughs> right? It's uh, too big of a town. <laughs> yeah, too big a town. Too big a town. But uh, a ministry in general has been a happy, happy experience for me. Uh, Don, this has been great. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for so much for giving me your time. But I cannot let you go without asking you one question that I've been asking every one of our podcast mm-hmm. guests. Imagine that the entire world is listening to the podcast, and you have 60 seconds to address them. What are you going to tell the world in 60 seconds? Now, while you think about your answer, let me remind our listeners that the Sojournal Podcast is a production of the Alumni Relations Office at Johnson University and is brought to you by the Alumni Association. So whether you graduated from Central Florida Bible College, Johnson Bible College, Florida Christian College, or Johnson University, you are a part of the alumni family. Join the Alumni Association and help encourage and equip alumni and students as they pursue kingdom-focused vocations. Learn more at johnsonu.edu forward slash alumni. So Don Brookshire, a member of the class of 1960 and a twice-retired minister of the gospel in (laughs) Pennsylvania, (laughs) uh, what one-minute message would you have for the world? Well, I guess my answer would uh, come somewhat from, from my age. I'm soon to be 84, and as I look back on life, I honestly can say life seems so short. As, as James put it, what is your life? It's a, a mist, M-I-S-T, a vapor. It could be, it appears for a little while, and then it's gone. And so it is. My 84 years, a mist, short. My fear is that so many people today are living their lives without planning for the next. Mm. And planning for the next is a must. Uh, A grandfather was urging his uh, grandson to uh, think about the spiritual things. And he went down the list of asking the grandson what he was planning on doing. And the grandson had an answer for everything. He was going to go to college. He was going to become a lawyer. He was going to get married. And and all of the details on down the line. And then the grandfather kept uh, persisting. He says, well, after you retire, then what? And the grandson said, well, I guess I'll die. And then the grandfather didn't stop. He says, and then what? Hmm. The grandson said, well, you know, I've never really thought much about death and dying. And I think that's the case with so many people today. They've never thought about death and dying. And what's ahead of us? Death and dying. Death and dying, you need to plan physically, but you need to plan spiritually. The general thought today is everybody goes to heaven. If you believe the Bible, that's not the case. There is a uh, connection in there involving Jesus Christ. He's the way. He's the door. And if if there's not a relationship with Jesus, I'm afraid a lot of people are going to be disappointed. Excellent. Very good advice. And I, I really appreciate you offering that, uh, especially given your look back on life and recognition of, of what you've gained. You've offered so much to the, to the world in your 80-plus years of life and ministry. Thank you so much, Don, for your time. You're welcome. My privilege. Catch
catch new episodes of the Sojournal Podcast each Monday on Anchor FM, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more.